It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Whitney Lordson. cannot wait to dive into this conversation because I've been talking with the guest today, Nitha, and just kind of dipping our toes into some of the things that we intend to explore on today's episode. And there's two places that I want to begin, but I'm going to choose one. (laughs) And in this moment thinking, wow, sometimes it's hard to choose a path. And I think that ties into this conversation. Like you wonder what's best for me and what's going to feel good? And what if you can do both, but you just choose the order in which you begin one and maybe get to the other eventually? Or can you let go of the attachment? And I really feel interested in exploring, Nitha, what you and I were talking about offline before the recording, which was a recent experience you had. And doing that within the boundaries of what you feel comfortable sharing publicly, but mostly leaning into the lessons that you were sharing with me. And it was ultimately about what I thought, this is what I perceived from that, was having a goal, an aim, a big milestone in life and putting your all into it, feeling like you're going to get there and you're checking off all the boxes and everything's going smoothly. And yet, despite your best effort, it didn't work out quite as planned. And how do you deal with something like that? If you give it your all, we're almost told in our society, just give it your all, follow these steps, do it this way, and you'll get what you want. And I think that's what makes your story so powerful and relatable is that some of us don't realize life doesn't work that way until we've tried. Some of us think there must be something wrong with me that's why I didn't get what I wanted. But in your case, Nita, it sounds like there's absolutely nothing wrong with you or your strategy. It just didn't work out. Is that how you perceive this situation without getting into the details of what it was? Yeah, well, I mean, we could totally talk about it. I think that every author's dream is to make the top of the top of the list, right? And I think we're taught this And first, I have to say how funny it is that we're talking about this. And the title of my book is called, Well, That Sucked. Now what? Well, it's actually that sucked. Now what? But (laughs) how to embrace the joy and chaos and find magic in the mess. I mean, it's literally what we're talking about. And so, I mean, of course, Whitney, you would start this conversation off so apropos. And I think that as an author or when you get to that stage of this was my very first book, with a publisher, with a traditional publisher and like having this dream of working with a publisher that I had looked up to for years and it started my own spiritual journey. And to even have that being like a visceral dream come true, like, oh my gosh, these are the books that were with me and like through my evolution when I was going through some of my dark times And now to be on the other side, like four books later, my very first book with a traditional publisher and that to getting my dream publisher. So it was like all a dream come true. And so you think, right, everything is just going to be uphill from there. 
I mean, they're amazing and they're great. But what I'm actually referring to and what I shared with you offline is this dream that every author wants to have is to, well, what is that dream, right? And most of us, because of society standards, right? We're like, all right, let's reach the top, the pinnacle. And if you're in the US or United States, right, it's hitting any of the bestseller lists, right? Like New York Times, or I don't even know however many, but that's a big one. And that's a big one for a lot of authors that they dream of. And of course, that was like my little bucket list and shared that with my team and share that 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 would be like the top thing that we would strive for. And of course, getting into my upbringing, that's like a very brown Asian girl upbringing desire of all of the things that I've unlearned. And by the way, teaching you all in the book to unlearn and reprocess and all those things. Boy, is it real? Is it real that we kind of go back into our competitive sides and For me, it's a lot of fun, but it's also, it kind of became reality in a sense where, oh, wow, well, okay, so you can only imagine how this story is going to go. Well, that dream did not come true. I did not make it. We did make it on some of the other bestseller lists. We've won awards and the accolades were coming, but I wanted to speak to that disappointment. And I was just sharing with you in how much, you know, I even uh, galvanized around this idea for our team and our team who's been working on this for pretty much the last two years. And you're giving everyone this opportunity to be part of something bigger than themselves in a way to, yes, we're talking about mental health. Yes, we're talking about ways to redefine resiliency and to build resiliency during sucky moments and during tough times. And then we get, or I essentially also get this really big and what I call in the world shocking disappointment. And I still knew that it was going to be a stretch, right? But it still, it wasn't an easy blow. Let's just say that I was definitely in the suck for that. And climbing out of that suck, it's like, oh, wow, did I let people down? And then you kind of go into your thought process of, well, was this good enough? And so, and I think it's just so human that we have these aspirations and these desires. And funny enough, I have so many of these stories in the book. And it just so happens that I'm like, okay, well, that sucked. Here we are. And now what? But also to kind of go into, well, where does that actually come from? And also, I did share with you even before this, what cost is that? Because I know that while we've had some incredible press and we were written up in many dream articles and magazines that I had no idea would even like in a million years would ever think that I would be the expert on NBC talking about there's all these people going through these job losses and then they want me to be live in Rockefeller Center talking about that as an expert. And so while there's all these amazing things happening, and then of course that one big goal that you kind of like desired and you worked so hard on and you kind of got everybody to like go for the goal and go for the aim and it didn't happen. And sometimes you're kind of like, oh crap, should I celebrate even everything else? We get into that pity party as well, right? Of am I deserving of this? Am I deserving of everything else? Because I didn't get the one thing, right? I didn't get the trophy. I didn't get the first prize or the second prize or the third prize or whatever it was. And there's even stories that I share in my book of some of my clients who've It's a zero-sum game, right? We're taught that there's only one winner in a basketball game. There's only one winner in a tennis match or only one winner in a singing competition. And what happens to everybody else? Does that mean you're not worth it? Does that mean your efforts weren't 
lauded or more regarded. And I can see even some of the folks who do compete in the Olympics even and the mental health around that of, wow, there's only one winner, but you have such stellar athletes. Well, what does it mean for everybody else? And so I thought that that was such a great place to start this conversation with you, Whitney, since, yeah, this was a little edgy for me <laughs> to share and open up. This is the first time I'm sharing this because we're literally coming out of this on the other side uh, about two weeks into this incredible book launch. And yeah, embracing the medicine here too. Well, first of all, I'm so grateful for you to share. And that was unexpected because I told you before we started recording, you didn't have to share those details. And it feels like such a gift to me and I imagine the listener as well to hear that and how refreshing, especially with authors, we hear these stories of all the things it took to get to the bestseller list. But we don't hear a lot of people saying, I did all those things and it still didn't work out for me. So again, that goes back to that myth that I have heard a lot where we just don't hear enough from people that worked really hard and didn't get something. And so it can feel really lonely when that happens to us. And I too was thinking about those times where there's only one winner. A few days before this episode comes out, but we're currently recording before the Oscars in 2023. And just thinking of all the great movies and all the great actors and you see the cameras and they're on everybody that's nominated, only one person wins and they cut away from all the people who didn't win and focus on the winner. But I'm actually very curious, like, what about the people that were nominated and didn't get it? Like, I want to see, like, what are they really feeling? Because that pressure and I imagine even the greatest actors must feel some sense of letdown or rejection. And they probably gave it their all phenomenal performances. And you hear the stories of like, oh, this person was snubbed. They didn't even get a nomination, but they deserved it. So it's a very human experience, but not one that I think people spend enough time on. I think the fact that you cover that in your book and you're still covering it afterwards is showing why you have been chosen as an expert on this topic. It's almost a gift to continuously face the sucky moments so you can continue to learn from them and maybe write your next book or your next appearance. But that also ties into something else you and I were talking about is that now what question and what next? And does that mean you keep going or does that mean that you pause, take a break and reevaluate? And you're kind of facing that right now in your life. So I'm curious, like in real time, what are you doing? What is your now what? Mm, wow. Yes. Before even answering that question, just, yeah, thinking of you kind of set on a very interesting point around the Oscars. And I think it's something that if we look back, even in our own lives, we will celebrate those winners and we will celebrate and we will watch only the ones who actually won as the cameras only point to those winners because there isn't second place or third place or fourth place or fifth place. If you have everybody that was nominated, but then you have that winner and you're absolutely right. We don't even see the, oh my gosh, or the snubbed face or the disappointment and the humanity of the fact that, all right, yeah, does that mean the others are losers? And well, no, of course not. But again, it's very easy to then feel like you are one because there is only one winner, right? And I think much in our society, we're kind of groomed at a very young age of this idea of it's a zero-sum game. There's only one winner and everybody else is the rest. And that is so much pressure on us. And I think that tying back into even my why, this is really interesting because 
of me why writing the book, but I wanted to give permission for people to suck and to be okay sitting in the suck. Funny enough that we're talking about this, I was sitting in my own suck where I'm like, ooh, okay, while we did, I mean, the books are flying off the shelves. They're having such a global reach. We've partnered with so many different schools and universities to actually get this out to their students to help build and thwart against bullying and mental health struggles because there's a lot of the data that just came out that young girls are having a lot of mental health struggles and especially when they get into college. And that's a whole different conversation. We were already able to partner up with six schools around this. And so, but again, this was totally mitigated by the fact that I didn't make that list. It was like all of those really amazing things didn't even count for that time because of one particular list that is made because of the hands of a few people that sit on the top. And I don't even know if that's true, but I don't don't know how they make the decisions. But basically, that is what it is, right? And if we think about it, it's the same thing for the Oscars. We're putting somebody else's worth based on votes from a governing body or maybe a few people at the top who actually are voting for these things. And mind you, I'm not an expert at the Oscars, so I have no idea how that works, but I can only imagine it is a decision made by a few people. But that is not the majority. And that, I think, to normalize that, yeah, that hurts also, but then to discount everything else that you've actually done to get you to that point. It's our humanity. And I think in my now what, I had to really be faced with what a lot of people who kind of saw from the outside, oh my gosh, like this is amazing. You're on this like amazing trajectory. You're having all these amazing conversations and this is so timely. What's going to be next? And I literally thought because this is what typically you're supposed to do, right? You're supposed to keep going and keep striving and keep achieving And for me internally and with our team, like I've hit a breaking point where I was even sharing with you, Whitney. I'm like, yeah, we're supposed to do this event, honestly, the next few months. And I literally said today, just before this call, I said, if I'm going to tune in energetically, and this is what I even share, one of the four components of building your bounce factor, there's in part two of the book. And one of the things that we have to get really, really good at is building our muscle of your RSA, which is your radical self-awareness. And it's so easy when you have an upward trajectory that everyone around you is like, oh my gosh, are you going to do this? Are you going to do this? Are you going to go here? Do this? And it's this is like on the one hand, oh my gosh, this is everything that you've worked for. Somebody had told me this is like you're living this author's dream. But then on the other hand, I'm like, wow, well, my kids are only small for a short period of time. And here's where they're at. And like, I've been going through a lot of mom guilt around this whole process, as well as, well, how am I really feeling about all of this? And I haven't even had a second to actually check in, tune into my gut, tune into, and there's processes that I talk about on how to actually build that if you're not really sure on how to do that. But it's really just trusting that intuition. And for me, I'm like, ooh, okay, how am I really feeling? Yeah, no, I'm actually quite depleted. And many times when we're not checking in what our depletion looks like, it could look like, oh, are we getting really short-winded with people? And are we getting triggered by certain things? Or are we getting irritated or agitated because of 
God knows what, right? But these are red flag signs. This is like your intuition telling you, this is like your RSA telling you, "Mm, (laughs) something's not right. Like you are going from an empty cup. You are trying to pour into from a cup that is like completely empty. And my incredible husband, and this is what happens when you marry a coach as well. Both of you are also in personal growth. He's like, are you sure you're okay right now? Like you have not taken a break. And he's like, I just really want you to sit with everything that has happened. And I think you might need to take a step away. And I'm like, no, 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 we're going for the goal. We're going to keep pushing. Let's go. And he's like, yeah, can you just actually take a pause and see what is happening? And I literally needed to have that nudge to actually say, you know what? You're right. I've been on go, go, go. When we have this cortisol, this is all the chemicals in our body. Our our hormones are flight, fight, or freeze. When we're ready to get into action, our nervous system's like, let's go. And we've got the cortisol pumping. Like, what other fires do we have to put out? Like, we're just on it. And when you're on it so much that you're like nervous system, the endocrine system, like your body is like, it's on overdrive where you can't even slow down. It's also a telltale sign, right? Because normally then what comes after that is like full burnout where you might not get out of bed. (laughs) I've had that happen to me many times in some of my previous books. And, you know, I think in our society, we're lauded and we're praised and we are given these trophies because we push, push, pushed. Right. And I know we do this to athletes like, yeah, you know, you've got one more lap in you. And all of that sounds really exciting. And there is some truth to that because, yes, of course, we want to do our best. We want to put our best foot forward. But is it going to be really at the cost of us like getting super run down, super sick, and maybe not even able to do some of the tasks that? we find really enjoyable because society says like, go push to the gold until you like over push yourself. You're like, I don't want to do anything for a really long time. That's on the opposite end when you've lost all of your motivation or you're kind of stuck in the suck and you are like, I don't even know what my purpose is anymore. I've lost it. I've lost my drive. And that's the other side of that. And I've been through the other side to actually know where my limit is. And I knew I was edging my limit. And so when I actually said yeah, I think we're going to postpone this event. Like I really want to do it, but I need to give my space, myself space to breathe because then I wouldn't be in integrity of telling other people, hey, we got to fill your cup. Come to this event to fly forward and let's climb out of the suck together when I'm kind of still sitting in it myself and not giving myself the space and the energy and the time to replenish and the time to have fun and the time to really reflect on these last six months. And I think that even on my podcast on The Brave Table, we literally talk about brave conversations just like this, which is like perfect. And it's also really tuning in to what is present for us at that moment. And so I'm so glad that I think, yeah, I am going to give permission for this to be in a space of being and not doing, even though experts and pundits and amazing people are probably going to be like, what are you doing? Like, how could you stop? You're like right in the throes of it. You're going to lose the momentum. And I think that in my 20s, I'd probably do that. And that's probably why I got burnt out quite a bit. And even in my 30s, the same thing, because we can push because we're taught that. And again, like who's validating us on, okay, let's take a break now. (laughs) No one really, except for our higher parts of ourselves. And that's something that I think 
the 20 year old in me or like the 25 year old in me is like, yeah, go, go, go for it. And she's giving me all of this juice. But I think the Nita who just turned a new decade earlier this year, 40, I'm like, yeah, what does what feels nourishing for me right now? And that's a scary place to kind of sit in because she's not used to really coming up. That actually is a word I thought of too. And I was mentioning to you right before we started recording the book I just finished today called What Works by Tara McMullen. And that book was the validation I wanted to slow down. In fact, slowing down is a goal of mine in 2023. One thing that's interesting that I'm still trying to figure out because it feels foreign to me is Tara encourages you to not have goals, but commitments to yourself. And she explains in the book, the difference between a goal and commitment, which I would like to go back and reread to better understand it. But I am committed to slowing down, but it feels scary because it doesn't feel like it's in alignment with life outside of myself. And that's part of this too. It's sometimes, as my therapist would call it, there's the wise mind. That's the internal, deep down gut feeling. This is right for me, but it's hard to follow that if it doesn't seem right for other people. And that validation component is huge. And that was part of what really drew me to your work, because for me, it's not just the present moment suck of like, oh, I'm going through a bad situation right now or this week or recently. It's sometimes the past suck that my brain will go to. And it'll go back to times I felt rejected, which is a theme here, too. It's like I went for something I didn't get it business wise, personal wise, getting rejected romantically even when you were talking about the Oscars and it's not the majority of people who are voting for something. Like when you get rejected on a personal level, it's usually not the majority. It's sometimes just one person. But our brains like make it seem like because this one person rejected me, the whole world has rejected me. I wonder in your book, since I haven't read it yet, is there like a psychological reason that our brains like catastrophize to that point? Like why do we think one thing represents everything? Gosh, well, I mean, if we go back into like human psychology 101, and I kind of talk about this. So the book is, it's divided into three parts. And the first part of it is the magical moment of suck. And in the magical moment of suck, we do tend to, it's, there's being human 101. So first it's embracing what sucked. And we can deny what sucked. We can gaslight ourselves of what sucked, meaning keep going and bypassing and just denying it altogether because maybe in our upbringing, we were not told that expressing an emotion was actually okay, or we weren't even given attention when we were whining or crying or expressing our concern or expressing our, like, perhaps the fact that we needed help, but we were crying and screaming and those emotions weren't awarded. In fact, the opposite of those were rewarded, like joy and happiness and doing things to please our caregivers, which is why we'd probably do more of that. And then we come up with these coping mechanisms as teenagers, as adults to do this in other relationships. But I think when we go back into, in part one of the book, when I talk about when we do have chips on our shoulder, because of sometimes the things that don't go well, we have to go back into, well, what are we really trying to gain? And when we are rejected, that is a core like visceral wound to our ego, because all we want to do is belong. I mean, that is like the bare basics of our human nature is to belong, is to be accepted, is to be loved, is to be liked. 
And no one wants to be the outcast. I mean, hunters and gatherers years ago, like you wouldn't thrive if you weren't in community. And even one of the things that I talk about in the book, when we're actually fully in our sock, I think their stats now is like one in three people report that they are lonely because of either they've been in isolation for a long time. They don't feel like participating in social gatherings because of whatever has transmuted in the last few years. But then it's also the results of that is like, okay, we're now more lonely than ever. It's not just what's happened in the past three years. I think it's also social media and there's all of these other variables. But the fact that we actually need other humans to survive, it is our right. And it is the way that our ancestors have really kind of lived. They lived in community. And so if you are outcasted from community, like that would be the end. And it's no wonder that we're having all of this rise in the mental health crisis that we have across the board. And so I think that when rejection is one of those really huge emotions that we do not want to face, because that would mean that we're outcasted from the village. That would mean that are we enough? That would mean, okay, am I worthy? Am I deserving? Do I belong? And at the core of it, even as I'm sharing it, I'm like, oh, wow, yeah, that can definitely spark some really deep rooted wounds. Because if you've ever experienced a bully, if you've ever experienced not being the accepted one at the lunch table in the third grade or the fourth grade or the fifth grade, there's definitely a hit there. And that would then force us into some of these coping mechanisms, whether we're people pleasers, whether we are overachievers, we're overworking, we're trying to prove ourselves, we have a chip on our shoulder, we want to prove somebody else wrong. And so it kind of opens up this like cascade and in slew of ways to not feel those feelings and to not embrace that. And I think that's kind of where if we are allowing ourselves to actually embrace that suck, embrace the discomfort of what that really means, which means, all right, yeah, I did get rejected. Like, how did that actually make me feel? This just happened a couple weeks ago. Ooh, I felt like, Jesus, this book, not enough. And in the book, I talk about like three fear cultures that happens anytime that something doesn't go our way or an unexpected rejection happens. In this case, I didn't win the trophy, right? The proverbial trophy. So for me going into, and there's the three fear cultures, the first fear culture is, am I enough, right? And that's huge. And then the second one is, is there enough? Which means if there's other people working on the same things as you, or maybe they want to start a cookbook and you're kind of like, or thinking you want to start a cookbook, but there's so many cookbooks on being paleo or being vegan. Like, why should I ever write a cookbook? But that's the fear of there is not enough. I'm pretty sure because that goes into our lack mentality and then we go into hoarding and then we go into competing because there's not enough room at the top. That's where that comes from. So I am enough. There isn't enough. And then the last one is this isn't enough. So what I'm doing or what I'm working on or the book, and that's what came up for me is, well, wow, was this not enough? Should I have added more pages? Should I have like written more? Should I have given more? So, and I think this can come up if we've failed a test or the project that we were working on didn't get a passing grade or the project you were working on didn't get picked up by somebody. They didn't select you. They selected somebody else. And maybe this was a gig that you've been going back and forth with for the past four to five or six months. And this happens all the time, right? Has nothing to do with you. But of course, it's everything to do with what you were 
putting your efforts on. And there are stories inside of the book around where this is so prevalent in the startup world, right? Where investors are passing on a deal, but then they're investing in something else. And many times we're looking at our product going, well, this is going to be the app that changes the world. And when I coach these entrepreneurs, they would definitely go into this pity spiral and the pity spiral for one thinking, okay, what else can I do to improve my product? I will like scratch everything and do everything over again just so I can win the trophy. And many times these investors are only going to invest in like one or two of these things, right? So then of course we would go into thinking that this, the thing that I've worked so hard on is not enough. So that's the three fear cultures. Again, the importance of you sharing this is something I keep coming back to because first of all, I am just meeting you for the first time today. And from just a couple of minutes into speaking with you, you have felt not only enough, but more than enough, right? And hearing you share these stories, I think, wow, it's kind of a shame that so many of us go through those feelings of I'm not enough, this isn't enough, there isn't enough to go around, which is so common. Like all, as you were talking about this, I'm thinking most people experience at least one, if not all three of those obstacles. And imagine how many, well, we're all inherently worthy, but imagine like us as individuals. So for myself sitting here thinking, what if you, Nita, didn't think that you were enough And so you didn't come to this podcast today and I didn't get to talk to you and my listeners didn't get to hear from you. That would be such a shame. We'd be missing out if you were buying into that. And so each of us can think about that for ourselves. Like where are the times that we don't feel like we're enough or we don't have enough or there isn't enough? And what are we depriving not only ourselves, but others from as the result of shrinking down? And it can be in small ways. It can be in relationships, too. I mean, I think romantically, amazing people who don't feel worthy enough to be in a relationship, but they could be the most incredible partner to somebody who's missing out on that relationship because their worthiness issue has created such a big wall. And it's not that easy to just snap your fingers and think that everything's enough all of a sudden. But maybe that practice of experiencing the greatness of other people can be a reminder. And I mean, the not enoughness thing is so huge. That to me seems like a core challenge. Is that something that you've noticed through your work too? Like, do you experience that every day in the work that you do? Like not from yourself, but from other people? Oh, absolutely. I think that we're, as a society, we're plagued by thinking that we need to be doing more and more and more and more, right? From when we're really young, it's like, okay, let's go get that trophy and let's go for the straight A's. Or I know that was a big condition in my family growing up. And so like, I think that for so many people, it's of course that constant struggle because it's not only that in those three fear cultures, you're not only talking about your lack of worth, but in everything that you're doing, you're seeing a lack. And there is a topic that I get into in part two of the book around, well, because I talk about, well, okay, the difference between manifestation, because everyone is into manifestation and manifesting their best life. And I'm just going to manifest this car next week. And this is like a big talk around. I wanted to set the record straight around the idea of positive thinking, because it's very useful, especially when we are in a suck 
And especially when we've been sitting in an SOC or you are more prone to sitting in a SOC longer and that can cascade into depressive thoughts and just ruminating in that SOC and having that SOC be your identity. And so then there's these other coping mechanisms of toxic positivity and then positive psychology, right? That can help you get out of the SOC. And these are all tools and I'm using these as tools to kind of exemplify how to remind yourself of what you actually put out in the world. And it's so easy to forget that when we are ruminating in our suck. And it's also really easy to think that the world is like rosy and rainbows and flowers and all of the things without thinking that, yeah, there's also effort involved in that. And so when we hit this differentiation between manifestation and and entitlement, because that are the two things that I kind of really talk about in that part one and part two of the book. I wanted to showcase that in entitlement, when we don't get something that we have worked so hard on, yes, we beat ourselves up. Yes, we start thinking that there's no more room at the top. So we start to act from a place of lack. And we think about all of the ways that maybe you've been entitled in this fun ones, but if you've arrived at the airport 20 minutes before your flight's supposed to board and there's a really long line. And so you're kind of like, excuse me, ma'am, sir, can I just hop in the front of the line? That's entitlement, right? Another example of this is you're speeding up 15 miles ahead because you didn't want to be late to your meeting. And so you were caught driving on the shoulder when the cop pulls you over, asks, what were you doing there? And this happens to the best of us. And I use these examples because they're funny, but they're all relatable and they're true. But these are examples of being entitled. And why is that? Well, because there's this idea of lack. We're coming from a place of lack. We didn't have enough time and (laughs) we're at a time crunch. So we think we'll just skip the line in order to get what we deserve. And manifestation, it is coming from a different way of thinking. It's coming from a place of I'm tuning into this idea that the best is already coming for me even though I might be at a place where I'm not believing it yet, but it's slowly making its way towards me. And in order to get to that place, I need to remind myself of all of the things that I have received to get to where I'm at today. And that's a huge exercise for a lot of us who have been really sitting in that suck. It's really hard to even connect to that place. But I wanted to bring it up to kind of show the delineation that one is coming from a full place of lack. And when we're coming from a full place of lack, it's so hard to see that there is beauty all around us, that we can find the joy in the chaos. We can find the magic in the mess. And slowly and steadily, we can train ourselves to actually live in the duality of both. And this is what I talk about in part three of the book is while we can sometimes sit in the suck, it doesn't mean that we're closed off to we can take relationships because this is a beautiful example. If anybody has ever been in a heartbreak, and I know I definitely have been in many, many heartbreaks and a first marriage that definitely went really, really terrible. And it had to be that if I was going to think that, all right, 
there's no more love in the world. I'm just going to be single for the rest of my life. There's just, I'm done no matter what and allow ourselves to feel that. But at the same time, we can grieve that loss of that relationship and grieve the loss of what didn't happen or what couldn't happen or that person ghosted us or that person ended it and didn't really tell us why or decided to leave or decided to call it off. And we're like, wait, I thought this was the best relationship. What is wrong with me? Like, why am I attracting these? What is wrong with me, right? To think that it's our fault, but maybe we can also go into it the next relationship or the next person that we meet thinking that maybe that person is not going to be our person, but maybe I can learn a little bit from this person. Maybe I can still be reserved right now because my heart's really tender, but I'm open at the same time to a new beginning. And I don't know what that's going to look like. I'm not going to stay attached to this outcome because that attachment is what leads us to many times the discomfort that we don't want to sit in. Yes. Yeah. The attachment is something I think a lot about because I'm very drawn to the idea of neutrality itself and or balance. I mean, you don't necessarily have to be neutral. Maybe the balance is the option too, because both things can happen at the same time. And the grief too came up as you were sharing today. I mean, even in your situation, like your husband was saying, that sometimes we need to take a step back, not to just take a break, but to grieve the loss of something we really wanted and we didn't get. And I don't think our culture really supports us in grief nor understands it. Another book that was really transformative for me is by Megan Devine. And it's called It's Okay That You're Not Okay. And it taught me so much about grief. And she talked about it a little bit more in the sense of major loss, like the loss of a person in your life. But I think grief can be so applied to the milestones, the rejection, you know, all of these things that maybe we can get. I mean, there's a little bit of a difference between losing something permanently, like a person, that person's never going to come back. Whereas you have the opportunity to write another book and maybe get to do it again. But that doesn't mean you can't grieve the book that didn't go the way that you wanted to. And I also think the message is in understanding it's okay to fail and you can accept that, but also know that it's painful. Just because you accept something doesn't mean that it doesn't hurt. And lastly, something else that came up as you were speaking was how, this was a little bit earlier, that when we could talk about very transparently as you have today about failure, it's giving other people permission in a way to fail because we're not trying to avoid it. We're not trying to brush it under the rug. Your statement around like, okay, I didn't get what I wanted, but I'm going to keep going because I'll get something else. Like, yes, that could be true. But what if you just acknowledge the perceived failure and share that with others so they can say, you know what? I failed too. It's okay to fail. It's okay to grieve it. It's okay to be sad and need to slow down and to really take that in. And your messages are so powerful because I just, I think we just don't hear this advice enough in our society. Yeah, it's almost the opposite, isn't it? And I think even in the past, there's this shame around wanting to slow down. And there's the shame around if you've traditionally been a high achiever or somebody that's really kind of going after the goals to even think the opposite of that. I think many times, and even for myself, thinking that, oh gosh, am I contributing? Because if I'm not contributing, am I worthy? And this has come up even, I do talk about it in the book, because around when I had my first child, my son, I wanted to restructure the way that I was showing up in terms of 
the projects I was taking on, the things that I was taking on. But it felt so hard to let those things go because it had become part of my identity. And what could I do if I was going to reinvent myself again? And I've been called the queen of reinvention, having started as a cosmetic dentist. And even in those dark moments where there was the height of that career and the height of whatever the traditional version of success looked like, but on the inside, it was just not you know, I'm like, I know there's more. I know there's more to just like the walls of this practice and the monetary accolades. I didn't know what that next evolution looked like. But as the theme that we're kind of talking about, if I still stayed in that profession, I would have never traveled or or figured out what this next path could look like. Would never think in a million years I would be like doing a segment in, in New York City as an expert on some of these big pop culture topics. And that I think is the beauty is to lean into our intuition when it's telling us to slow down. Because sometimes when we slow down, we're able to, and there's so many different scholars that talk about this, we're able to really reflect and see and hone in on our gifts. But our society is teaching us to do the opposite, and which is why it's so hard for so many people to actually sit and to lean into the discomfort that comes up. Because what is it actually revealing to you? And I think with that, if getting the book gives you permission, because we do go into the way the book is shifted is the part one is the magical moment that sucked. But part two is also how do we cultivate this bounce factor? And what is it that we need to heal in our past or unlearn in our past or remind ourselves so that in part three, we can actually fly forward. And flying forward doesn't just mean that we're going to avoid sucks altogether. No, it's a cyclical process. And maybe when you fall into a sucky moment or have a fall, it's not going to be as great as the first time that you actually stumbled across something big and monumental. But you know, because parts of yourself will start to erupt and rise where you're like, what version of myself is coming out? in this? And what part of myself is like wanting to fix this or wanting to control something, but you know, this like new, higher evolved person of you is kind of like, well, actually, I think it's okay to embrace what didn't go well, right? But the other person is like trying to fix it because that's what they have been taught to do. And that's what society has taught them to do for years and years. And it's hard. But with RSA, we can kind of catch ourselves doing that and have that compassion and grace while we are climbing out of that sock. So there's a ton of different prompts and exercises within the book, as well as a whole entry of resources at thatsucknowwhat.com forward slash resources for the book buyers there as well to dive into. Well, I love doing exercises <laughs> almost as much as I love listening and learning from people like you. Thank you so much for showing up with so much compassion and your grace for yourself today and demonstrating how to embrace things that didn't go well. I'm sure that wasn't what you would want to have talked about today, but I think it serves as a beautiful example and you're living out exactly what you teach in your book. And what better way to do that than going through the suck and talking about it in real time and even the cyclical side of it. It's not like you wrote the book and suddenly you no longer go through sucky situations. I think that shows your humanity in beautiful ways to help others lean in 
and feel comforted and see your humanity and know that they can show up in that place of not the entitlement and not the lack, but just being more in touch with themselves and the the intuitive side. It's all just been an absolute joy to witness that today from you. So for the listener, I will put the links that Nitha shared today, of course, to the book. They'll be in two places for you. One is in the description right below your podcast player. There's a little piece of text there and you can click on the book. And you can also go to wellevator.com to get the full show notes, which are written out like a blog post with quotes, a resource section, everything in one place. And Wellevator is spelled W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. Thank you so much, Nitha. It's been absolutely a joy getting to know you and hearing your story today. Oh my goodness. Well, this is the perfect podcast to let it all hang out. This might get uncomfortable. So thank you, Whitney, for just being that container and for all the listeners giving you permission to embrace what is and embrace the sock, knowing that you can fly forward past as I am definitely that living example of it. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com.